welcome to the 44th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them about the starting industry, what the influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Numa, Breath of Life, by Deco Digital and Bevel Studios. Joe, please tell us who you are and what do you do? Hi, uh, I'm Joe Brammer. I'm the producer at Deco Digital. Um, I work in a team of seven guys, or six guys, working on Numa, and we're currently developing it for Xbox One and something else. And um, <laughs> we'll be coming out uh, around January, February. Um, yeah, very exciting. Yeah. So, pretty- uh, that's a good time to, to, to release a game. I was about to say drop. But I thought, no, don't, Chris. Don't use that phrase. I hate that. <laughs> dropping things. No, you don't drop. Stop it. When that, so, because January is a really good time, isn't it? Because it's like the dead zone of video games. Yeah, I mean, it's great for indies, right? I mean, yeah. in, in, uh, in a Christmas, we were fighting with a lot of AAA guys and we, we actually initially went to hit Christmas, but then Idea Xbox told us, you know, you can, we're not going to fight you against it, but we're going to tell you that it's going to be better for you in the long run to release just after. So then we just changed our tack and went with that. And, um, I think that they're all like looking to promote us afterwards with dashboard and that kind of thing. So for us, it's just as indies, it's really beneficial just that time after. It's kind of like our window, you know what I mean? I feel like indies kind of own that window a bit. It's just that I've noticed over the years, I mean, playing games so many, especially so many, so many years. I remember you know, I had my Christmas game every year. Last year is The Last of Us. That was a good Christmas game. <laughs> <laughs> to blast my way through that. Uh, and, you know, previous years it's been Assassin's Creed and stuff like that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And it's just, you know, the, 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 I'm going to say it, but palate cleanser, it sounds a bit of a cliche, but, uh, <laughs> Numa is a bit of that, although it was also quite maddening. I can see it! I can! No, you can't. <laughs> I can see it! Look, it's there! Look, damn it. So, uh, uh, so you've seen the video that wasn't supposed to be on there, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that video, uh, got recorded. When it shouldn't have. And it was like alpha broken audio footage at Gamescom that oh, right. people weren't using headphones, but somehow a certain large corporation managed to record the audio without us really knowing. But hey, that's, that's cool. We just got slated in the comments a little bit, but that's, that's fine. I'm not sure what you're referring to. I mean, this, this is me, my own personal experience when I was playing it at, uh, EGX. And, uh, oh, okay. That, yeah, you will have heard the incredibly annoying Voice over there. <laughs> oh, right. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, they, we, we kind of went to all these, uh, conferences with the same build. We just made like minor gameplay changes that we found that players kind of preferred. But, um, we kind of didn't change the audio because you got the idea of what the game was. Yeah, and we yeah. spent like four days creating a build specifically for a conference when our whole development time is like six months. It's kind of a tough, tough time for us. Mm. Well, it's a, a remarkable game, but we'll chat about that in a moment, because I want to know, how did you get started making video games? How did you make your start? Um, well, I'm 21 now, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess when I was about 12 or 13, I um, I was a PC gamer, and I started, I, I was playing Battlefield 2, and I found out that you could do something called modding, yeah. which is yeah. a bit more dead now because of indie games, which is fine, but... Back in the day, people like DICE would release their actual game engines, and you could edit Battlefield 2 and make your own levels. 
So my like sort of playing career kind of came and went very quickly, and I just moved straight into modding and making my own stuff straight away. And from then on, I kind of, I mean, I, I kind of suck at school and all those kind of like academic side of things. And this was kind of always something that I wanted to do. And um always said to my parents, this is what I wanted to do. And they always pushed me towards it. And I managed to find a course in uh, at Warwickshire College in Leamington. And um I had a great lecturer there who kind of pointed me in the right direction. Then I ended up going to university in Derby. And um that was more where you kind of find out about, uh, you know, you get given £30,000 over three years to uh learn about uh, everything everything and anything, I guess. It's not strictly games. And that's where I kind of learned that I wanted to set up my own company. I wanted to make indie games. I didn't want to go and do AAA or anything like that or work in a studio. This is what I wanted to do. And that's pretty much my game's history in a nutshell. Excellent. So started out modding as a teenager. And, yeah. Um, you know, I remember, was it called Desert Combat? Or there was a mod. There was a huge sort of yeah. Yeah, that was an amazing 1942, game. 1942, I think. Battlefield yeah. 1942, that's kind of what kickstarted Battlefield 2, I think. It did, yeah, yeah. Um, that was amazing stuff. So, I mean, so many games that come out of just mods. Uh, yeah, especially on like Steam, like Counter-Strike was a mod, and yeah. Half-Life, and Gary's mod, obviously. And, uh, and of I course, think... the, the biggest of all, Dota, of course. was a mod. That's probably yeah, Steam was really good for it with Hammer and that sort of thing, but yeah. nowadays they lean towards indie games and modding has kind of died a bit, which is good for people because people can actually make a living off of it now. That's right, and it's also more, it's much broader. Yeah. You can pretty much do what you like. We've got, I have a lot of indie developers on this show doing a variety of titles. Sometimes yeah, I think the, the, the sad thing about modding being over for me and indie games starting is because, like, people aren't making it as much anymore for the fun of like and love of making games or just editing games it's more about oh everybody kind of thinks their game deserves to be paid whereas i mean there, there is a community of people that really just love making indie games and like just make games and release them for fun and for free but there's a lot of people that would have really enjoyed modding just and learn a lot when modding where instead of releasing sort of like crap onto the app store which really like could have spent a lot more time on and not really needed to do like release this. If you know what I mean, it could have just been a fun thing. Yeah. But I mean, I mean that, I missed that about modding. It was just so uh, friendly, I guess. It taught you a lot about elegant and sort of tight coding because in order to get the most out of it, you had to make it do somersaults that it wouldn't want to do. And uh, surely, in order to do that, you had to. Have a pretty good understanding of how the game worked, right? Yeah, I mean, um, I think back then, this was when it wasn't so much like Xbox and PlayStation supporting community developers. It was people like Dice and again Valve who were supporting the the modders. Effectively, it was like um, you had very strict rules what you could do. I mean, when it was a Battlefield engine, pretty much everybody just made a slightly different version of Battlefield. I mean, even Battlefield 2142 was just a mod of Battlefield 2. They, it, every, if you look through the file structure, it's all exactly the same, and things are called BS2. But I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's really weird. I like, like, like 2142, though. It's a good game. Like, yeah, exactly. But it was just a modified version, and it was really fun. And that's what modding was. It was just like, how can we make this already fun game a little bit more fun, or how can we adapt it to a smaller community of people? 
And now we have Battlefield 4, the world's most broken game. Oh, you just had Unity come out this week, and that's incredibly broken. Yeah, that is. They have... um, Knocked off that podium. But yeah, definitely. Um, the you're right with the uh, cutscenes of uh, people with no faces. That's kind of scary. It's very pretty though. It's yeah, it's just eyes and mouth. <laughs> yeah, I mean we all we all we all sit there looking at it, just kind of marveling at, how, thinking, oh, I hope we can be this good one day. But I mean, we look at it and also think that it hasn't got collision on it, so you can't fall through the world. But yeah. It does look really amazing, and especially as the art team, we kind of really want to do that with future games. Well, no, Noom is pretty beautiful as it is, but in my opinion, I, I love the uh, well, thank you. The, the classical sort of styling. It's a beautiful game. It's uh, very, very detailed. And the lighting, that's what did it for me. It's very glowy, very bright. Um, it, made, it was a stark contrast to the EGX um, show floor. Oh, well, I think, I think if you, when you see the finished version now, I mean, we're, we're in the last, like, four days. Okay. Uh, I'm actually working right now. And um, <laughs> we're kind of... <laughs> we're, we're in our last four days, and we're all kind of working crazy hours to get this done. And we'll be shipping on Monday. Oh, we're going to certification on Monday. But I think if you saw the finished version now, it'd just be... It, it looks really, really good in parts. I think three weeks ago, we were a bit panicking, like, thinking, is this actually any good? Then I guess in the last four days, we've just been, like... It actually looks like a game. It feels good. There's not that many bugs in it, and it feels like a video game now. We've got the main menu and the HUD, and everything's in there, and it just feels like a game. Yes, the toughest thing, you know this by studying, but the toughest thing in video game creation is finishing one. I was just... Oh, yeah, we all, we all like change our minds halfway through. I think everybody kind of gets bored of an idea, and when they realize how hard an idea is to make happen as well, it's like... It's hard to keep going, but I, uh, perseverance is like such a big thing. So I think, especially with um, artists who kind of, where you think, oh, I could do all these amazing things, and then you sit down to do it, and you you think by the end of day one you're going to have like fifty percent done, and when in actual fact you've got like 10. some grey boxes and like yeah, less than ten percent done. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's still like uh, I think when you're making a game with uh, money on the line and like fiance is about to leave you on the line kind of thing. Yeah. It's like um it's like a lot more uh desperate then. It's and also you- it's also the phrase that I'm sure you heard this one, good enough. Um it's not you know, it's not bad phrase. To say something is good enough. It's not about you know, perfection chasing helps no one. Helps no one. I think um it's it's like uh there's mistakes that Unity can make, Assassin's Creed that Unity can make or can't make that we can. If you know what I mean, as, as indies. And we definitely don't strive to do that. No. But I think when we're on like a zero pound budget, as in none of us get paid, um, occasionally a texture might not line up with a texture next to it. And I think that's like, we can, I, I feel like we've deserved that level of like mistake. Yeah. But, um, when there's like a five million dollar budget kind of thing, then we're like, Okay, this should be a little bit cleaner. But the thing is, we're also like you're, you're paying fifteen fifteen pounds for us, right? I yeah. think you get your money's worth. I think it's a really fun game, really pretty game. But like I said, maybe a texture doesn't line up in like one tiny point in the game. Yeah, I don't think there will be a thread on NeoGaf dedicated to that fact. You'll be fine. Well, let's hope not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd be surprised, wouldn't you? Oh no, no, you wouldn't be. 
not from me, I guess. Well, we're kind of vowing not to read, not to read the comments, but I think we, we you kind can't of, help I, it. You're human, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, sometimes critics do have constructive feedback and it's important to have. And I always say to creators, if you're not prepared to put your head above the parapet, then you really shouldn't be doing this. Um, as a critic myself. So just the way it is. Be prepared to stand by your work. It's okay. Don't worry. It's fine. How about it's it's just about like how you react to the comments, I guess. Not not so much if you can deal with if you can deal with the, the pain of some of them, then I think it's okay. But you don't want to do the public meltdown of Dennis Dyke, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's gone now. Oh, well, anyway, um, what are your biggest influences? Um, as a creator, what's the thing that uh, brings you back around and go, yeah, I keep on plugging away at that thing, and it uh, seems to be giving me what I need. I guess more recently, in the last since we started Numa, um, I've had to do a bit more flying, and as a result, I've just read more books. And um, my mom will always say, like, oh, I told you so, because she's always trying to get me to read and. I was just modding games and stuff, and where I guess I kind of found out that they're really inspiration for any sort of digital media these days, or a lot of it, it always comes back to a book somewhere. Yes. That's where you reference, no matter what you read on the internet, or yeah. you reference a film, that film's probably referenced a book somewhere. Yes. And just, you can get so much out of words in a book, there's no sort of like limit on pages, really, if you think about how long some books are. So yeah, I, Although there is the, the death touch of an editor sometimes, either. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at the Harry Potter novels, they get thicker and thicker. Oh dear. I'm Come sure. On, you needed an editor. <laughs> Carry on. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we got paid enough to read them, but yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, um, it's it's kind of weird because it's been such a crazy six months. I don't think we ever had time to sit down and go, "What influences influences us to do this?" I think it's just like. We like that. Let's do it, kind of thing, and we just we just follow threads. Yeah, yeah. Numa is a bonkers game. It is. Sorry to be so. It sounds very flippant for me to say that. It's not. Uh, I think no, that's relevant. that's a good way to put some of the gameplay. Like it's just, it is. It goes against everything. Not every people. It, it says, "Oh yeah, it's like you know." Uh, I actually said it in my preview article. So I'm not sure if you digested it much, but I said, you know, it's uh, and like antechamber. Uh, in many regards, uh, it's just like, because that breaks rules, because you turn around and you turn around and go, hang on, that wasn't... <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> I think it, it just, it just, it frustrates you to the point that you're like, it, w- whenever you complete a puzzle, it's like a little victory, and all these little victories combine at the end into this one big, awesome entertainment experience, yeah. where... Each puzzle, you know, you'd be, what is this for a good 15 minutes? And then you figure it out and you have this, ah, moment. And when we see that as, as at conferences, as developers, it's just like that, that's what we're going for. That, that face, that moment, that sigh of relief yeah. when you finally figure out what this puzzle was and it was in front of you all along. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's yeah. like watching Inception, you feel smart about it. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so speaking of smart people, who do you most admire? in the industry or what company or group of people who's the people you think I mean I know you've mentioned Ubisoft several times already but uh, who, who's the people you, you think you know they seem to be doing the right thing um you don't uh, mention one person I, that's cool but, uh, I know I know our, our artists really like 
Paul Frick, who is a uh, 3D artist on... <laughs> we're looking at me now. A 3D artist on um, Wolfenstein. Was it Wolfenstein? Yeah. Everything ever. But um, he, he's, he's really good, and he just... Is it the latest Wolfenstein game? Yeah, I believe, I believe that so. game but, was brilliant. So it's good, exactly. Good, yeah, it was. But he did, as for the art team, I think that's a huge. But he's just like a machine. And the thing is, he has a girlfriend, and all of us are looking like, how, how, how's he doing that? And he's got a, This is ridiculous. <laughs> does, he, does he sleep? But yeah. So it's it's a bit like he he's a good inspiration. But I think it's a studio. Um, I don't know. I guess um, we just don't really look at it like that. We just yeah. make. A lot of friends when we go to these conferences and yeah, to, to it's pluck just someone that. out specifically is difficult because then it means you've isolated someone else, and that's yeah. Right. But you've already given me an answer. That's great. It's a good <laughs> one. Uh, thumbs up. Um, I've had other answers like uh, I don't know, and they just come up with the usual suspects, which is also good. Um, some of them actually pulled out directors and film directors and stuff like that, which is fine. Uh, but uh, yeah, the uh, I think I'd say. I'd, I'd say, like, personally, it would be, I guess, uh, Neil Druckmann. Right. He's uh, the guy that, you know, wrote, uh, The Last of Us. Cause I had kind of lost faith in video games briefly, briefly, and, uh, played The Last of Us, and then I was like, nah, that's all I talk about, I'm pretty sure. But, uh, <laughs> every time we talk about a new idea, it kind of come back, comes back to The Last of Us, and then everyone rolls their eyes, but. Have you seen the Diablo level of Last of Us? It's quite funny. I haven't, actually. Yeah, they did a Diablo level, it's just, for the PS4, it's dedicated to... So you've got clickers and bloaters. <laughs> but you're playing Diablo, okay? Which means my friend was playing it, he did a video of it. And he's got this dirty great sword the size of him that's glowing, and also an enchantress that was turning everything into little chickens. <laughs> so he was just wading his way through all of these clickers and bloaters, and like, and I wrote you know, a comment, I said, so that's what I was missing in The Last of Us. Sword <laughs> the size of me... Definitely. That's on fire, and an enchantress that changed everything into chickens. Uh, oh, that that would have just made that game perfect, right? Perfect. It would have been like that's it, because the thing about Diablo is like the it's the antithesis of Dark Souls. There's, yeah. <laughs> the skill, no, <laughs> just get more things, and then kill those more things with those things to get more things. I've just summarised the whole hack and slash genre there, but. Uh, that's pretty, basically, pretty much. I, I played it with him as a wizard, and it gets so bad. I'm like level fifty wizard. <laughs> Got so bad, I didn't couldn't even see what was going on on the screen. It was just this a wash with spell casting mess. And yeah, like, that's how I feel every time I play any sort of spell game. I just can't see what's going on. It, and uh, it got so bad. It was like, uh, is anything dead yet? No, keep firing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much me playing those sort of game. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I saw a um. Last of Us PS1 edit on Kotaku or something. Yes. And that, that was really cool. It looked like Lara Croft, but it, it, was, it, was, really, it was really cool. It's quite an eye-opener because you don't remember quite. You, you think you do, but it's a long, long time ago. It's like 15, 16 years ago when the PS1 came yeah. out. That's a long time, especially for your good self. Because uh, uh, I remember playing sort of Metal Gear Solid on that thing. <laughs> Pulling the cable out and changing the controller because he was reading my moves and everything. It's mental. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, amazing, amazing little grey box that was. It opened up a whole, whole world of, of, of video game goodness. Yeah, I think that was the first time I played FIFA actually. was on that. In Coventry City, we were in the Premier League, by then. But, 
long time ago. Yeah, I'm a Palace supporter. What do I know? Anyway, <laughs> uh, and they're in the Premier League. I don't know how. I don't know how they remained up. I don't know. Um, what games are you playing right now? Uh, Numa. Anything else? More Numa. Seriously? I have no time to play other video games. <laughs> Occasionally, I think I've played the last one about four times now. Right. And that, like, pretty much takes a day, but that's kind of like porn to me. This is my porn time, so. To replace it, just swap one in, one out, it's kind of, you know, it's all my schedule like these days. That, that is, that is scary. I mean, how long has been Numa been in development then? Um, yeah, they all blur together. Yeah. It's like about six years, but I'm gonna, I think six months. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we've been, we were going from May, May 1st, but, um, to about, you know, a couple of days before the end of May, we decided that the game we were making was just like every other indie game, kind of, it, it wasn't special, it wasn't unique, it wasn't different. And it was gonna come out on Xbox and it was gonna be a game, but it wasn't gonna be a good game that, Made, meant we could keep going and making more video games. So we just said, you know what, just everybody that's not an indie game developer has said to us, oh yeah, just take it safe, take it safe, take one step at a time, make a little game, then a slightly bigger game, and then go on to make a big game. But I just don't really agree with that. We just turned around and we said, what's the absolute best game we can make in six months where we have to work our asses off to do it? And we found that game that was really interesting, that Xbox loved, and we went with it. And it was a risk, but I feel like it's definitely paying off. And all of us agree that, you know, we were using Unity and we switched to UE4 and we had no real experience in UE4. So that was a big risk we took and it, it paid off in the end, I think. I think the, the graphics and output and the, the feel of it speaks volumes for that decision. I think oh, it was a good yeah, I just hope you get to see the, uh, we'll definitely be sending you a code for the, uh, the, the finished version. It just looks so much better and we're so proud of it at this point. I think, um, just see the accomplishment the whole team's had just off of no no money and working all night at bars and then coming back in, you know, 4 a.m. at bars and then 9 a.m. at work kind of thing. It's, it's, it's just deserved, I think. I feel like we earned this. show, you know, <laughs> dancing around the game, and we haven't even described what it is yet, which is what you're about to do now. Please do tell us, what is Numa Breath of Life? To be honest, I prefer the first half. We've been talking about Numa all day. I know, but uh, I sort of sprinkled it throughout the show, but I only, only hinted at it. I'm only not going to describe what it is. You, <laughs> off you go. Okay, so Numa is a first-person puzzle game. Yeah. Um, it's similar style to Portal. Uh, as in, it's gonna make you think about your actions a bit, but it's not as fast paced as Portal. Um, 
we like to say it's um, a game for anyone. I know every game loves to market that, but it really is. I think we've had um, some great moments with people that aren't necessarily video games at all at these expos. Um, what you have to do in it is pretty much it's to do, it's based around perspective, and um, you use these eyes that we have in the level uh, in, in the levels, and you have to rotate objects and. Uh, uh, look at objects that certain eyes to open doors in special ways, and towards the end, or the middle, I guess, we combine all of these uh, small mechanics that we have in these smaller puzzles together to make these super hard puzzles that they, they are really difficult. We worry that people will get stuck, but I guess that's that's our angle, right? It, it, we're not making a handhold game. It's going to be... Um, it's going to be tough. If you Google the answers, that's a cop-out. You're going to have to stick with it. And um, one thing we do say is it's, it's a great two-player, single-player game because a lot of the time we, we have some great like father-son moments where at a conference we've had you know a son kind of using the controller and there's only two buttons, really. There's only X and... Not even A, it's just X and the stick. And um, these, kids are, these kids are trying to figure out these puzzles and the dads are kind of helping them along. So the dads are kind of helping them along, and um, it's it's the, the kids that do using the controller, and it just kind of adds together uh, this moment where uh, a father can actually play a video game with his son, uh, which I don't, I don't think has really been like fully available before because of just the generation gap in video games, and we're kind of filling that now. But um, yeah, it's been really good, and what, what's what's interesting is that it's a game that. You don't have to be a game, like a gamer to do. It's, it's often about how you analyze situations and how you, uh, figure out problems and, you know, problem solving and these kinds of things. There's a lot of like, like critical thinking involved. Um, we had this moment at EGX this year where, uh, I think it was a nine year old girl came up to play. And I was watching her play, uh, was with you, a- you were in the Microsoft booth, weren't you? Cause that's where I went. We're in the Microsoft booth, and we're in the, in the Unreal Engine booth. Oh, right, because I, I only saw it at the Microsoft booth, and there wasn't anyone there. I just walked up and started playing it. But, uh, yeah, sorry, I interrupted. Carry on. No, 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 it, um, yeah, so we're in both those booths. Like, we saw this nine-year-old girl playing, and I was watching her, and for some reason, this, this girl was just playing it perfect. Like, it, it, uh, it is a hard game, and this girl would go up to a puzzle stare at it for a while, think about it, and then basically just, like, trial and error one or two times and then complete the puzzle. And she completed it in 20, 25 minutes. Just a, just a demo, not the whole game. But um, we then have, like, a 22-year-old, you know, Call of Duty player come up and quit after, like, the second puzzle because he couldn't really figure it out one of the tutorials. And it was just, like, incredible to see this little girl just go through and play it so methodically and just go through the game and think about her actions and consequences. And, um... Also, destroying the myth that women can't do three the spatial awareness. Definitely. This is, like, rubbish. Oh, this girl was superhuman. That's yeah, like... Yeah, well, maybe. But, <laughs> no, I, I I lost myself in, in humor when I was there. I forgot I was at the Expo Hall. Um, there was a couple of games out there that I went, when I went there that I, that I found myself doing that, to sort of getting myself lost in, in, in all of it. And, um, it's just... I loved it. It was just the simple aspect of it. It's one concept that you had to keep an object in your view whilst you were doing something in order for something to trigger. 
Uh, that's the the basic premise that I understood Numa to be, that you, as you were standing there, you could walk and move at the same time, but as you did so, you had to keep something in within visual range for it to trigger. Uh, and I thought... Yeah, that's, that's pretty much like the uh, the base principle. Yeah. Uh, um, it's... There's many other things it could do with that. The, the, the thing to trigger could be anything. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I think when you get through to the later puzzles, it's crazy, like, how... how our designers kind of set some of these up and they're definitely easy when you say them like, Oh, you've just got to do this. And it really is that simple, but there's so many things that you kind of have to learn throughout the game to realize how simple they actually are. And, um, yeah, it reminds me a lot of programming actually. If you think about it. Yeah. They're, they're the pro, they're, the programmer is the lead designer actually. They're very programmery puzzles. That's, that's a pretty solid observation. But, um, no, I think one thing that you miss out on in the in in the demo is the story because we actually put a lot of time into the story. Uh, you will have heard that buggy audio we talked about, but um, we actually go into a lot of depth. And uh, if I think we we had some pretty big indie players uh, or indie designers around at the studio a few weeks ago, and they were kind of blown away by the ending and how in depth it was. And it really is, it's a story of, um, this character who believes he's God and how he becomes to understand himself and what he is and what he's capable of. And yeah, I, th- I think it, a lot of people will be able to resonate with it. And, uh, the ending's just, I mean, I wish I could tell people, but it, it's just, ex- I was so surprised when the designer came up with it. And I, it was just, I was like, well, this is how we get to make this game. You know, it was, it was really interesting that we got to do that. Some of the best, uh, Best indie games out there are completely story driven. Gone Home being a great example. Borderline game walkthrough story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, it's driven by the story more than anything. In fact, that's the only thing it's got. Anyway, and you could argue Walking Dead suffers from that too. At least that's what I did. Well, Gone Home's excellent. Steve Gaynor did a really good job with that. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, my next question then. Is the game we've already discussed is you know, the, the concept, as I say, is you need to focus on an object in order to. So the art of circle strafing must be understood very quickly in order to get the best out of this game. You may disagree with me, but I genuinely believe that, that you know, if you know your circle strafing, you're all right. Um, how did that come about? How did this fundamental concept? What was the, you know, the penny dropping? When did that happen in someone's shell? <laughs> I think um, when I said about we had that uh, moment where we were like, this game isn't good enough, we need to make a different game, we kind of sat down for like five or six hours just straight hashing out ideas, you know, from absolutely nothing to something. And it was along the lines of the guy who we kind of trusted with the design, uh, Dave, he uh, he kind of said, like, look, I think this this would be really good. And we were like, okay, we'll just run with it. So... He went away and sort of just designed these puzzles in Unity first while we as artists spent, I guess, the week learning Unreal Engine and how it works and getting some template stuff in and just understanding physically-based rendering, that kind of thing. And then he came back to us with these uh, little Unity playthroughs and prototypes. And he's like, sit down and just play it. And I think all of us just really, really enjoyed it. I, I it, It's just like, there's no real, I, I don't, I don't really know how he did it, did it. He just came up with it and he just said, I want to run with it and try it. And he did it. And 
we all liked it. So we're like, we want to make this game. So I, I think you're right. The strafing will help, but yeah. it definitely isn't. A, a lot of times people try to run at a door when, when it's closing and we promise it's not about speed. Uh, and it's well, not. There's some about- platforming elements, isn't there? Well, uh, no, that's not true. You get moving platforms. It's not a spoiler because it's very early in the game. You start out anyway. Yeah. There's some moving platforms. And when you do that, you have to do, get on them and then get off the other one that's moving onto the other one. There's a little bit of dexterity going on there, yeah? The Oreo. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think, um, that's, that's where, like, that's where you can tell who the Call of Duty players are because they, they think they've rotated these, these, uh, discs enough to jump to the next one. Yeah. They just, they, in, re- in actual fact, they could rotate it so that they walk on, but they always try and jump this ridiculous, like, half measure. And they just fall down and have to pay the penalty of walking back up the stairs. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's a really, it's a really interesting puzzle, that one, because a lot of people know what to do, uh, when they're on the middle one. <laughs> There's three that they have to get across and they figure it out halfway through. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's fun, that one. I think a lot of people like that one. Yeah, I, I do like that one. Uh, I just wanted to mention that because, like, yeah. I know what's going on here. It reminds me a little bit of um, some Mario 3D stuff as well on, on the uh, N64. Mario did some of that too, where you had a rotating platform, but that was very much dexterity. In fact, it's the whole basis <laughs> of the game is dexterity. But well, we'll take it as a compliment, so. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Almost <laughs> Mario 64. Come on. <laughs> you can't, can't uh, balk up that. Celebrate is one of the greatest games ever, so. Uh, Definitely. But, yeah. Uh, and it's also, you know, it's quite interesting. You, you've mentioned Call of Duty a lot, and I have nothing against that game at all. In fact, I quite enjoyed what it is and accept it for what it is. And it is a triumph in coding and development. If you look at it objectively, it is an amazing game. It's just, unfortunately, more or less the same game every year. <laughs> and, we, you know, it's just like, come on, is this what, you know, what they wanted? Yeah, I, f- but, I feel like this year, um, I was kind of apprehensive about it. I was, yeah, it's good this year. It's good this but year. this year I'm interested in it, but yeah. mainly because it's different, not necessarily yeah. because it is a good game. But I, I don't know how to play it. But, well, um, anyway, yes. Yeah. <laughs> On to more, much more <laughs> interesting matters. Because, okay, well, thanks for basically a five-hour brainstorming session and you come up with this idea that, you know, just look at something and then that triggers something. And that creates, because the fundamental computers are a series of switches. I do try to explain this to people. Even to this day, in fact, especially to this day, that's all they still are, a series of switches. <laughs> lots and lots of, millions and millions and millions of them, but they are still a series of switches. Um, how do you design levels with this concept? How do you, um, do you go about it? We do, we kind of really design puzzles. And then, well, Dave just designed a bunch of puzzles, and then we fit them into the game... Later, I think one of our artists went away and did some level design work, and uh, we basically made a block out of where everything would go. And we actually started off with this idea of having a hub room, so you'd have to walk back to the uh, the middle every time, but I think we started to cut that quite early on. And um, we turned it into a much more of a linear game, so you remember I was saying that every puzzle is kind of a little victory. That kind of works really well with the linear part of it, so every puzzle is almost a level, as in every room is a level kind of thing. So, yeah, and, and how Portal works is it's quite linear, but um, each room is like, okay, this is what you have to do in this room, but it's w- within a big chapter. So w- the way we do it is we, we segment segment things into chapters. But um, as far as level design goes, it's been um, 
kind of difficult because a lot of it's about perspective. We've had to be very careful where we put things so you don't break puzzles or make them too easy or too hard. So we've had a lot of trial and error and fixing and breaking again, and we're still doing that right now. But I think we, we've had a couple of play tests over the last few days with, with outside people, which has been really interesting. And um, we got a lot of the feedback that A, we expected, and B, um, we didn't. But all this, I think all the stuff we didn't was like awesomely positive, so that's really good for us. My next question is a bit of a cheeky one. I don't think you're going to say yes or no if you've got anything, if you've got any sense about it. But I'm going to do it anyway because I've been thinking about the game a lot ever since I played it back in, you know, back in September now. But uh, it, it's gripped me that much. But would you be making a level editor for the game? Or is that just beyond your resources or indeed intentions? I think a lot of people ask this, but... Um... If that many people really want a level editor, it's kind of like a, it's a big job. I mean, mm. let's say millions of people buy the game, then we've probably got some money to do that, right? But that takes yeah. a lot of money and we've already sacrificed a lot of our personal lives and, uh, any finances that 21 year olds actually have has been sacrificed. <laughs> so it's, it's more of it like we would love to. But I just, it's just not viable, really. Um, no. I mean, it's, it's all degeneration to, do you have Unreal Engine? Yes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> not the tools. Like, I, I, wanted, I was thinking that, I was like, I, I don't even know if we could release Unreal Engine as ours. Like, no. So. That's what you're using. Exactly. Ultimately, that's what you're using. You haven't got, I mean, there have been many, many, many stories of developers and artists and producers working with each other and a, produ- and a, de- and a programmer would make a toolkit for everyone else to use because yeah. he's sick of having to do or he or she, sorry, is sick of having to do the same coding over and over again. Look, just use this. Get out of my face. <laughs> and then what happens is like, actually, that's a good tool. Damn it. <laughs> we could release the tool. But clearly that hasn't happened in Newman's case. Can't do because I know you know, it, it, it's, it's completely... I, I think hopefully we can kind of promote some people to go and or, you know, point some people in a direction that they'll go and try it out in UE4 and because it's, it's a great tool, but it was perfect for us. And I think it it's more that we'll just push people to, like, go, hey, try, go and try it yourself. You can do something better than us. You know, and maybe you work together one day and we'll work on the same thing or come to us with your ideas or whatever. So there's a bunch of things that we can do that aren't necessarily releasing an editor because that's not, I think, like I was saying with the modding, that's kind of gone now. You do your own thing a bit more. But, I mean... We're really community focused guys and we're really like open. We, I mean, we, we love people telling us what they think about the game and what they would do better because a lot of the time, if they match up, we actually do that. We just implement it as soon as a few people are like, yeah, we, we really prefer this. We're just going to do that. So feedback like that is really good for us. Final question. Um, as you said earlier, the puzzles can get they ramp up. Rightly so, otherwise it becomes tedious and you don't want of that. Course. But I'm just curious about visual aspects because I found very subtle in the game levels hints to the player about how they should solve it. Very subtle. Could you expand on how you designed that aspect of the game about how much do you handhold the player without making them look stupid? Uh, point, you know, do, do you, what, what things do you, have you found? Like, that's not obvious. You can't, they can't see that. It's just... There's got to be a way we can 
visually direct their player's eye to something without making it bloody obvious. Yeah, it's it's there's a there's a fine line really. I mean, our, it's a hard game. We said that we wanted it to be hard. Um, I think what we do try and do is make sure. I mean, every puzzle has a clue. Otherwise, it's not a puzzle. It's just an unsolvable, annoying video game. So everything does have a clue. It's just how you decipher it and how... I think one big thing in Numa is that you have to reference older puzzles and think, okay, well, I did that back in the last level, so maybe I can apply that principle here. But there is a general rule throughout the game um, that is really helpful. And um, I think it, it's if it's tedious, you're doing it wrong. Or if it's tedious, there's a faster way. Um, a lot of people will try and do something that'll take forever, but in actual fact, they, they know what they have to do, and they just stop for a second, stop like brute forcing it and think about it. They'll be able to figure out the, the actual way of doing it and the faster way of doing it. I think most puzzles have two ways, with the exception of a few, of completing it. But we, we don't, we don't necessarily just handhold the player, but there are clues in there, yeah. I just use that phrase just to two horns. Yeah. I'm not suggesting you are. <laughs> in fact, the game doesn't really lend itself at all to handholding. But I just okay. noticed there was some, and even in the demo that I played at the EGX, which you've explained many times over now, that that was merely a prototype more than the, the game itself. But I just noticed some graphical tweaks and lighting effects that said, maybe you should look over there. <laughs> and it was just like, oh, yeah. And it was just... I think... So, uh, I mean, the colouring as well, I mean, the eyeballs are blue. They are bright blue. We haven't explained that to everyone. But there's the scene, the, the, the theme of it is ancient Greece, or kind of. And it's got these little pillars and classical pillars everywhere and, and uh, very, very ornate sort of interior. Uh, at least that's the parts I saw. And, you know, everything's pretty much red and sort of a, a red sort of um, tint to it, typically. Uh, yeah, I mean, that I, each level... It's completely different, really. Like it, it's the same architecture, architectural style, but throughout the game, I mean, it just changes so drastically. I don't want to give too much away, no. but it's not like you've hit. Now you're on level two or chapter two. You've seen everything. It yeah. changes so much, just level to level. The environments are vast and same style, but really, really beautiful. Some of them, uh, I think, for an indie team, we. I mean, I'm happy to say we've done pretty impressive job in, in the time we had uh, to get this done. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is themed, kind of Greco-Roman, I think we call it. And uh, we actually started making the game when Rise was coming out, so that was kind of all the time, because we were like, damn it, not exactly the same. Although, but, it has to be said, way more interesting. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. We hope so. Like, no, 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 it is. From what I experienced, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, um, so coming out in January next year, yes. Um, February, I guess. February, Probably around February now. It's just early 2015 in, because for the game Xbox kind of give us the best window to release and the thing that will get us the most exposure. So we have to remain flexible, but it'll definitely be early 2015. So when everyone snowed in, we're you know because we in the UK when it snows the entire country grinds to a halt. Exactly. Especially down this part of the world. Um, it's, yeah, we'll be snowed in and playing, you know, Numa Breath of Life. You won't be able to escape, you just have to complete the puzzles. Yes, you just, yeah, that's it. And you can't dig yourself out, no. You have to play this game instead. Uh, and it's initially on the Xbox One, but we have hinted 
that it may appear on other things later in the future, possibly. Who knows? I can say we're going we're going to be going on Steam. We'll probably be running a green light next month or so. Um, definitely coming on Xbox, where it'll be thirty days exclusive on Xbox. Uh, after that, uh, there's just yeah, whatever things. Yes, we won't delve. I know you could you could do all sorts of things. I could say things now, and you just go, "That's very interesting, Chris." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I don't even know what I. Yes. I, I don't know. No one tells me. No, no. Uh, I think the Wii U, it suits the Wii U quite well. You could do all sorts of things. Definitely. Uh, definitely coming out on the Wii U. <laughs> okay. Tomorrow. Well, tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> so, Joe, thank you very, very much for, for being part of the show and, and taking part and sharing your time and knowledge about <laughs> Numa. Well, I, I hope you guys will play it and buy it and enjoy it because um, we'd like to buy things that aren't part noodles now, so please, please... <laughs> Yeah, you should have left that when you were a student. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I ate better when I was a student than I do now. <laughs> That's, Definitely have more money. That's yeah, but uh, it, it will be worth it in the end. I, I've seen the game. Do um, check out my preview as well. Based, on, I know it's based on a prototype, but I do. I did write up on it, and I was I was really, really, really impressed. Like I said, I got myself lost in it, and people just dragged me away, going, "Chris, you need to come back. We're going off and playing something <laughs> else." So, uh, which which made me sad. But there it is. Um, again, Joe, thank you very much. And, yeah, thank uh, you for having wish, me. wish you the best of luck in your future endeavours. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer who listen to the show and want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Bye!